Ah, good morning, Cross Point. I'm glad y'all are here this morning. Whether you're here in person or whether you're watching us online, we are overjoyed that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. This is our fourth Sunday of Advent. We'll be hearing from God's Word in the book of Micah shortly. There's a reading plan provided online for Advent, and I hope that you're excited to hear what God has to present to us this morning through the book of Micah. I would also like to welcome our guests today. If this is your first time to be here, or if you've never filled out one of the little visitor's cards, look on the back of the seat in front of you, and there's a little pocket there, and pick out the visitor's card. Please fill out that information. We would love to have that information from you. And we promise not to knock on your door unless you ask us to. So this is, you filling that, is, filling that out is not an invitation for us to just show up. We won't do that. If you put your email address on there, you will then be connected to our weekly preparation for each Sunday. If you're a visitor online... You can text the word CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to 903-458-9199 for more information about Crosspoint Fellowship. This week we will be having a Christmas Eve service this coming Thursday night at 6.30. Is that right, Bill? 6.30. It will be a relatively short period of time of reflection, some music, and a brief word from God through Bill, maybe Ben, however that's going to work out. And children are welcome to come. If you're already dressed in your pajamas for Christmas Eve, go ahead and come in your pajamas. That's fine. Adults, not so much. Okay, so. I want to be careful with that. Now, gentlemen and ladies, do not forget that in January, we're going to be beginning Volume 5 of Authentic Manhood. The title of this study is A Man and His Marriage. Guys, some of the elders went through this in the summer of 2019, and i got to tell you, it's a powerful, powerful study. So if you've been going through authentic manhood all along, great, come on back. Uh, Robert Bledsoe hasn't set the date yet, so look for an email from Robert soon, probably after Christmas, about when we're going to be starting up. <clears throat> if you have any questions, you can contact Robert. If you've not taken authentic manhood before, this is a great study. Okay, these are standalone studies. You're not going to miss out on, you're not going to be behind just because you start on volume five. So if you've not taken the first four volumes, don't worry about it. You can catch that up later. We're going to be doing this again. Okay, but if you can make it for this volume, it's going to be a great, great study. All right, now for each of the five weeks of Advent, during our Lottie Moon Christmas offering moment, we've, been, we've seen a short video about a mission going on overseas that the Lottie Moon Christmas offering helps support. This morning, we're going to see a video clip from the International Mission Board about medical missions that lead to church planting in Thailand. Watch this, watch this prayerfully. Uh, medical missions is one of the ways that we can reach the nations, walking three miles an hour, taking care of the sick, the hurting. 
that opens the door for the gospel to be shared, that leads to salvations, that leads to churches being planted, that leads to us following literally what God has called us to do. This year, the, second, the, this year, the Southern Baptist Convention International Mission Board is celebrating 175 years since the first missionary was sent overseas. <clears throat> As a result of that, their goal for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is $175 million. Ah, that sounds like a huge number, and it is. But it's a number that's very easily reached because God can do that through people like us. Our goal here at Cross Point Fellowship is $10,000. That also sounds like a lofty goal. Right now, we have $4,960 in our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for Cross Point. So the rest of that can come in. Please keep in mind as you pray how God would lead you to support the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And remember that every single penny of what you give goes directly to missionaries like the medical missionaries in Thailand. Not a single penny is spent on administrative costs. So join me as we pray for Slotty Moon Christmas offering. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you for those who have been called by you to go to the nations overseas. Father, I pray for this Slotty Moon Christmas offering that it will reach the goal that Southern Baptist Convention has raised this year. This banner, and the banner that we've raised here at Cross Point, may we feel that drive from you to support those who are taking your word to the nations. Father, literally fulfilling the Great Commission. Father, that's one way that we can absolutely be a part of that. Father, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for this day and for this time. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now this morning, members of our young adult ministry uh, will be lighting our fourth Advent candle and doing the reading this morning. So Matt, Aaliyah, Ryan, and Kate, y'all come on up and do what you've been called to do.
Okay, it's me again. This morning, we're going to begin this time by praying. Praying again, but we're going to be praying for another church. The church we're going to be praying for this morning is Mineral Heights Baptist Church and their pastor, Mike Pishney, and his wife, Sarah. They've been there since about 2017. We're then going to pray for our time here this morning as we worship in his word. We're also going to pray for an unreached people group of Southern Asia, and it's the Matili-speaking people. The Matili-speaking people is made up of more than 31 million people that live within the border areas of Nepal and India, so it kind of gives you an idea of where they are. Within this large group reside 33 unreached people groups. 16 unengaged, unreached people groups. Okay, Unengaged means there's, there's no active church planting going on. And every day the population grows by 1,161 people daily out of that 31 million. Only 0.2% of that 31 million people are believers among the population, 26 people die every hour. And <clears throat> in, in a little over three months, as many people die as there are believers. So join me in prayer this morning. <clears throat> Father, we come before you again this morning thanking you for your presence in this place. Thanking you for Jesus who died for us on the cross to provide for us a way of salvation and redemption. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads us into the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us this morning through the book of Micah to help us glean the truths that you want us to have. Father, I do pray for Mineral Heights Baptist Church this morning and their pastor, Mike, his wife, Sarah. Father, I pray that Mike's study this week has been rich that it has grown him, it's challenged him. And as he stands to, pre to preach that word this morning, Father, I pray for the people at Mineral Heights that they will receive that word and that they will go away drawn closer to you. Father, I pray this morning for Ben and Christy as they're out this morning. I pray for their safe travels. I pray for a time of rest. I pray for just a good time of fellowship for them. Father, I also pray for the Matili-speaking people groups of India and Nepal. Father, may you reach those people, the unreached people groups and the unengaged unreached people groups. Father, I pray that you will send the missionaries to take the word to them, whether it be medical missions like we saw this morning from Thailand. However, they're going to walk three miles an hour with them. Father, I pray that you would claim this nation for you. Claim the people of this nation. Father, we love you and we pray for your guidance this morning through your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this, these things. Amen. <clears throat> now, this is, again, the fourth week of Advent, the Sunday before Christmas when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Micah is a collection of oracles 
given by God for the people of Judah and Israel concerning their sin and their desire for worldly things over their desire for a relationship with God. In the first three Advent sermons, we've heard from Ben, Neil, and then Ben again about the judgments that God had planned for them. We also heard in each sermon a glimmer, a remnant would be saved. We heard about redemption even in the midst of, the, of judgment. This redemption plan is highlighted in today's reading. Today we're going to be reading in Micah chapter 5. So go ahead and turn there. Micah chapter 5 verse 4. And this is part of the second cycle of these writings, of these oracles. So I would invite you to stand with me as we read together God's word. Micah 5 verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that it would become deeply embedded in our hearts and our minds and understand what you want us to see. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. <clears throat> now as a, a road map for this morning, what we're going to be doing. <clears throat> First, we're going to identify the he. H-E, that we see in the very beginning of that passage. Secondly, there is a large amount of material and language throughout the Bible about shepherding. I was talking to Ben a couple of weeks ago about, about this sermon. I said, you know, sometimes you, you look at one verse and you think, man, where am I, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I said, in, in this situation, I'm having to decide what not to talk about so that we don't have an hour and a half sermon. I'm not going to do that this morning. So we're going to be looking at that shepherd language in Scripture. Thirdly, we're going to see the hope that we have in serving a strong shepherd sent by God. So first, <clears throat> and this is the very first question I had come to mind when I read this verse in studying. Who is the he that's represented, that's spoken of in verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. And he shall stand and shepherd the flock. So we have to pick up in scripture, find out who the he is. But if we back up just a couple of verses in Micah 5.2, we're going to see the identity. Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. <clears throat> now, we continue with that question. Who is the he? Is it David? He was a shepherd king. Or is this speaking of the coming of Jesus, the shepherd King, capital K, capital I, capital N, capital G. 
The real key to identifying the shepherd is the phrase in verse 4, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And yes, while David was a shepherd who became king of Judah from Bethlehem, another shepherd king, born in Bethlehem, in the line of David, is promised here from old and from ancient days. One of the names for God, Adonai, means the Lord, is referred to as a shepherd in Genesis 49, verses 22 through 24. So we're going to establish that this shepherd is from of old, from ancient days. Genesis 49, verse 22. Joseph is a faithful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. And yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made of were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Isaiah also speaks about the Lord coming as the shepherd. In Isaiah 40, verse 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So we also see the language of the shepherd in the 23rd Psalm. See, I grew up thinking the 23rd Psalm was all about uh, being read at funerals, because you hear that a lot. But if you look at the first three verses, it's full of the shepherd language. It's as much about life as it is our passing and our death. So in Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You appoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now with the identity of the shepherd firmly established, another question now comes to mind. If God is sending a shepherd, then how does this truth fit into how he sees us? As sheep. Isaiah 53, 6, God says, and Isaiah says through God, God says through Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned, every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So then I ask the question, okay, why sheep? 
I mean, couldn't God have picked another type of livestock? I mean, horses, cows, chickens. <laughs> but he chose sheep. Why? Because that's the way God created us. He created us to be like sheep in this aspect. God created us as we are, and part of the way he created us was to have an absolute dependence upon him. We are to be dependent upon God. Adam and Eve were dependent upon God in that perfect relationship in the Garden of Eden. The problem enters immediately after the first sin when they chose to disobey God and the temptation, folks, the temptation that they had was to be independent of God, to step away from God, to be like God, to be over God. But the temptation was to be independent. And as a result of their original sin from that temptation to be independent from God, we now live in a fallen state in this world. We live in a basic anarchy that's a direct result of original sin. That basic anarchy is for us to strive to be independent of God. And we hear about independence a lot. Talk to a native Texan, and we think we are <laughs> from the rest of the country. We're just, you know, going along with the flow. But that, I'm telling you, that thought is very deeply ingrained in this body, <laughs> in this mind. Okay, so that independence is there. But the worst part of that is my drive could be. And the temptation is to be independent from God, to be apart from God. I want to go my own way. I want to make my own choices. I want to do my own thing. That's the temptation. But see, because of the way he created us, there is still that deeply embedded part of our system that we cannot get away from, drive to be dependent upon God, to be close to be led, to be nurtured, to be fed, to be protected. It's there. It's real. Like sheep are dependent on the shepherd, we also then as human beings, as sheep, are dependent upon our strong shepherd that is promised by God. Sheep must have leadership. Okay, why are sheep dependent upon the shepherd? Because without the shepherd, they would wander off, fall into crevices. I had to struggle between crevices and crevasses. Crevasses are in the ice, crevices are in the rock. Okay, so they fall into crevices, they die, they drown, they starve to death. A sheep must have a shepherd. You know, one of the cool things about sheep, there's some cool things about sheep. I grew up being around sheep in West Texas. As sheep get older, they get wiser. 
They do. But what does their wisdom look like? Their wisdom looks like they're standing right next to the shepherd. <laughs> if he moves, they move. Okay? They don't get wise on their own of how to protect themselves, how to defend themselves against shepherds, how to find food, how to get off of their backs if they're laying on their backs, which is a pretty good indication of where sheep are. If you lay them on their back and get them comfortable, they'll lay there till they die. They just do. They don't know they can get up or that they need to. It's kind of strange. But that's kind of a picture of where we are. We can, we can get so far off from God that we're just comfortable in our mess. Okay. But then God draws us back. We are to be dependent. And as again, as sheep get older, they learn where their wisdom is. It's not in themselves, but it's by hanging close to the shepherd. It's by walking with the shepherd. When he walks, they follow. And they follow because they know the shepherd's voice. In John 10, 27, Jesus himself said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. See, as we grow older, our wisdom is to stay close to God. It's not to be off and wandering off. Older sheep do not run away from the herd. The ones that tend to wander off are the young ones. We need our shepherd. Our shepherd is where our security is, where our provision is, where our wisdom is. We need his very presence and guidance in our lives. Now, let's look a little bit more at the shepherd, who the shepherd is. Some of the qualities. Who in our Bible did God move from being a shepherd to a leader of his people? Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, who then became the shepherd king. They were all shepherds. They were skilled in leading sheep. It wasn't a giant step for them to leading a stubborn and stiff-necked people. And that's why God did that. Leading sheep is no easy task. They have to be led from the front. Okay? One truth about sheep, you cannot herd them. You cannot drive them. You cannot push them. If you're behind them trying to go that way, you take two steps and they're circling. Okay? They, they, they don't know. They have to be led from the front. So the shepherd walks in front, calls a sheep, and they follow. Those qualities are also necessary to be able to hear clearly from God when those qualities of the shepherd include being patient. The shepherd has to be patient with his sheep because they're not overly intelligent creatures. They need the shepherd. So he's patient. They're gentle. They're humble. The shepherd learns to enjoy being by himself out in the fields watching over his flock. And in that position, he's in a better place to hear clearly from God. See, if we're not careful here, we can easily see the shepherd as just that gentle, patient, kind, loving, caring Nurturing 
individual. He's more than that. He has to be more than that. We know that in Scripture, the shepherd was a warrior for his flock. He took care of his flock. King David, or David himself, spoke of what he had to do as a shepherd when he spoke to King Saul regarding going up against Goliath in 1 Samuel, verse 17, verse 34 and 35. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Not just timid. Okay. A warrior. A warrior for his flock. Now, that's not a picture of a timid individual. The shepherd stood between any predator and his flock, protecting the flock for his father. Okay. Now, the shepherd carried a shepherd's staff. And if I had remembered, I would be standing here holding a shepherd's staff. It's in the back seat of my pickup, and I walked off and left it. <laughs> but just pretend I'm holding a shepherd's staff. The top of the staff has a hook on it. And that's the part that everybody is familiar with. Okay? And that staff, the staff that I've got, about that, it's almost six feet tall. That's about how long they are. And that could be swung with that hooked in, and it makes a powerful club. Because it's a hardened piece of wood, and it could fend off a lot of predators. What we normally don't see... And again, pretend I'm demonstrating it. Turn it upside down. There's another end of that staff. Guess what? It's not a blunt end. It's a sharpened point. Okay. That sharpened point is referred to in Scripture as a kentron. It's the word translated as sting. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That sharpened point on the other end of the shepherd's staff is the sting. It could be used to kill a lion or a bear. It's a spear. You can imagine a shepherd grabbing a bear by his beard or the lion by his beard and having that staff and driving that staff into its heart on the spear end what he did. It's what it was for. This thing was also used to encourage his sheep. <laughs> okay. If you got a, a bashful, if you got a, a lazy sheep or a bashful sheep and they didn't want to go, they were they were you'd take the cantron and just ding, just zap him on the back of the leg. Whew, and he'd move. Okay. It encouraged the sheep. Kept them moving. So the sheep knew the hook end when they would get in trouble where the shepherd would hook them and pull them out of danger or out of water that was rushing too too fast and they were going to drown. And he hooked them and he pulled them out. They also knew the sting of the other end of that spear, the other end of that shepherd's staff to encourage them, to motivate them, to keep them away from dangerous 
stings. Even though that sting, that Kentron, was uncomfortable for a moment, it reminded the sheep that the shepherd had their best interest at heart. Because shortly after the sting, he would encourage the sheep. He would, and in Psalms it says that, that he will restore their soul. You know, the first time I talked through that, and I, and, and I was teaching about family, it was actually in Kazakhstan a number of years ago. Um, and I thought, okay, how does a shepherd restore the soul of a sheep? <laughs> the next thing was, why does a sheep's soul need to be restored? Well, maybe he'd been zapped by the cantron, and he was, he was hurting from that. Or maybe he'd been chased by a predator. Okay, so the shepherd would, I believe, do as I did when I was a little boy and we had dogs, you know, and the dog would get hurt or wounded or something and you wanted to love the dog, what would you do? You'd take the dog's head in your hands very gently and just speak to him. In doing that, the shepherd would restore the soul of the sheep just by loving on him, by speaking to it gently, lovingly, kindly. Sheep are always reminded that the shepherd had their best interest in his heart. Now, there is one popular belief that if a shepherd had a wandering sheep that would continually wander off, he'd, he'd leave the 99 and go get it. As in Matthew 18, verse 12, Jesus says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? So the shepherd would do that. Well, what if the sheep just continued to wander off? Continued to wander off. And he would go and get it and go and get it and go and get it. I'd heard a number of years ago, that usually after the third or fourth time, the shepherd would sit down, take the sheep, and break its leg. Then he would nurture that sheep, splint the leg, make sure it was healed, and love that sheep. And from that moment forth, that sheep would never leave his side. And he had a limp. <laughs> okay. It was a limp that was associated with that. It was a reminder that, that the shepherd loved him enough. Now, in researching this week, I thought, i got to see if that's true. I'd never really researched it. I researched it. What I found was that's more of a myth than truth. It's kind of a nice myth. So it's a good thought. Not, not a good thought, but it's, a, it's an encouraging thought. Because the, the, the support of it being a myth was if a shepherd did that, every step that they moved, he would have to carry that sheep for about two weeks until the leg healed up. Heavy hard. And he would be spending more time with that sheep than the other 99, the rest of his flock. So he'd be, you know, forgetting them. So... Maybe it's not completely true, but guess what? We see that picture in Scripture, just not with sheep. While it may be unlikely, that's what God does in his people's lives at times. Jacob, in Genesis 32, we're going to read that in just a minute, Genesis 32, verse 25. Jacob wrestled with God. 
In the end, God touched Jacob's hip and dislocated the hip, causing him to have a permanent limp. In Genesis 32, verse 25, and then verse 31, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then in verse 31, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Okay, I found a, a quote from R.C. Spruill that I just felt like I needed to read regarding Jacob. <clears throat> it says this, For too long, Jacob has assumed his skill as the primary factor in his success. In defeating the patriarch so easily, the Lord showed Jacob who has the power and who truly holds the key to his future. By implication, the wounding also teaches Jacob that he was really fighting against the Lord's holy character when he used dishonest tactics to secure Esau's birthright, even if the blessing was rightfully his. Today, the Lord still wounds his people. Perhaps like Paul, he will give us a thorn in our flesh in order to display his power in our weakness. Maybe God will use the stripes of men to discipline us like he did with David's sons in 2 Samuel. Whatever the case, the Lord will not hesitate to wound us if it serves our good and his glory. I want to read that again. I want you to think about that. Whatever the case, the Lord will not hesitate to wound his people if it serves our good and his glory. If we're wayward and God brings us back, we may come back with a lamp, and that's okay. Because it's the shepherd taking care of us. Micah actually speaks of the lame in chapter 4. We're going to have to back up to chapter 4 a little bit to get this picture of the lame, the wounded. Micah 4, 5 through 7. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant. And those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. See, God sends his discipline to cause us to draw close to him. He just does. Only in him do we have any hope at all in our lives. And in that, he is glorified. In Micah, we've seen that it is the Lord who sends the Assyrians and the Babylonians against his people. To take them captive. And he did this because of their continual disobedience to God. 
They had corrupt leaders, corrupt priests, and a people who desired things rather than that relationship with God. God did not do this to ultimately destroy his people. He could have done that like that. He has that power. He could have done that. But he provided the discipline over and over again in order to draw his chosen people back to him. And he drew them back often with a limp. So what's the result that they're promised? He drew them back to himself. He restored them with a limp. And that limp is a reminder of where they had been, of what had happened, of how God drew them back, and how God loved them enough to restore them. Please get that right. It wasn't because they were lovable. It wasn't because they were worthy of that love. It was because of God's absolute, perfect love for his people. This morning, this day, the remainder of 2020 and throughout 2021, the coming new year, the hope that we have is Jesus Christ our strong shepherd. That's the hope that we have. In John 10, verses 14 through 18, Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd. So we can go back to Micah 5, 4. Who is the he? There it is right there. Jesus Christ said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I will bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So what does this mean for us in Greenville, Texas on December 20th, 2020? First of all, we're sheep. (laughs) And we're sheep who are created to be dependent upon our creator, the Lord. He is our strong shepherd. We must walk with him. We must draw close to him and recognize that our wisdom comes from that close walk with God. Our trust grows in him as we see the strength that he provides for us. As we see provision and guidance, as we see the healing touch of his hands in our lives. Our dependence on our strong shepherd as our wisdom grows. If we succumb to the temptations to be independent from our shepherd, we can count on the cantron. 
We can count on maybe the touch of discipline. We can count on a limp because he will draw us back. Whatever it takes to keep us close to the shepherd, when we belong to him, it's absolute. And he will do everything within his power to keep us close. Even when we get independent-minded, he'll draw us back. Because he loves us. So we go into this Christmas week, and we can absolutely rely on these truths. In Micah 4, Micah 5, 4, about halfway through that verse, it says, we will dwell secure. Folks, that's a promise. We will dwell secure in our strong shepherd. We know that our hope is in Jesus Christ as our strong shepherd. We have hope in our day-to-day existence as he watches and cares over us. We have hope that the world absolutely does not understand. We just don't. And you may have run into that. I mean, it, 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 it's pretty common. You know, I've, I've had someone ask me before, why do you go to church each Sunday? Why do you go on Wednesday nights? You know, I go to Mass once a year and I'm covered. <laughs> they don't understand the relationship that we have and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The world does not understand that. We also have the assurance that since Jesus is our strong shepherd, there is absolutely no doubt that he'll take care of us. In this day of uncertainty, in this day of masking, of social distancing, of elbows instead of hugs. And see, that drives me nuts. I'm a hugger. <laughs> it, it's been different. There's a couple of people I still hug that's outside the family. I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. You know, but I've, I've refrained from that to be loving to other people. But he cares for us in this time when we feel like we're completely out of, nothing's in control. He provides for every need. He protects us. He watches over us. He keeps the enemy from destroying us, which is the enemy's goal. Satan would love nothing more for us to just be completely scattered and destroyed as a people. Yeah, he hasn't got that power because our strong shepherd holds us and he holds us close and he restores our souls. We have the absolute hope in our eternal existence with Jesus as our strong shepherd. See, our hope is not just today. Our hope is in eternity. That, God, I'm 10 years old. I was 65 years old. 10 years old? 65 years old. In 10 years, I may be in heaven. But certainly I'll be in heaven in 100 years. <laughs> okay? And that's an absolute assurance that I have because of my strong shepherd, Jesus Christ. And the fact that he gave his life for us, we have that eternal hope in Jesus. He gives us the gift of eternal salvation. The last part of that verse in Micah 5, 4 says, And now he... 
Again, it's Jesus. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. So the final assurance that we have in this is that because God the Father sent Jesus to be our strong shepherd, the Father is glorified. And Jesus is the strong shepherd. He is glorified. In our walk with Jesus, next to our strong shepherd, God is glorified. And God's plan works exactly the way he intended it in eternity past. Pray with me. Father, as we come before you, we thank you. We thank you. For that strong shepherd that you provided for us. Not just for momentary benefit in our lives, but for eternal existence in Jesus. He watches over us, he protects us, he guards us, he guides us, he nurtures us, he heals our wounds. And sometimes he may find it necessary to inflict a wound, in order to draw us back. But Father, even in that limp, he loves us, and we're reminded of the love that Jesus has for us. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for your word. May it do something in our lives, change our lives, encourage us, strengthen us, help us in our walk. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now, as we prepare to take the supper, fill the cup, and the system has to take the little cellophane thing off top first to reveal the wafer, and then pull the other part off. Hopefully that way you won't get juice all over your pants. Consider what God has revealed to us today, that he loves us enough to care for us, to provide for us, and at times he provides discipline in our lives because he loves us. And just as parents lovingly discipline their children to show them the right path in their lives, God can provide that discipline, and he does provide that discipline in our lives. In Luke 29, verses 19 through 20, it says, And he, that is Jesus, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And in verse 20, it goes on to say, And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my hand. Take and drink. Pray with me again. Father, we thank you for this fellowship meal. We thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for what you do for us on a daily basis. And Father, I pray that you would accept our worship now in spirit and in truth. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.